Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the Delicious Podcast September episode. I'm Julie Smith and this month we're celebrating festival season with Abigaveni, Wilderness and the Great Bath Feast. We meet Persian home cook Sabrina Gayon, we find out how to get sugar smart with a school lunchbox and we talk to Andrew Bake Off Smith about the new version of the Great British Bake Off. But first, editor of Delicious Magazine, Karen Barnes on what's in the September issue. I actually quite like that back to school sense of September that that it's like taking a fresh look at things isn't it and also it's the harvest and when you go out into the countryside you just see the hip fields being harvested and uh, and bounty everywhere hedgerows full of berries and things so I feel like it's a time to capture a bit of a heritage moment as well in the September issue Um, we've got a whole feature about preserving and discovering the joy of jam making with food writer Thane Prince which is beautiful there is a blackberry ketchup in there that I promise will change your life (laughs) it's it's dangerous stuff once you start having a, a spoonful of it on a bacon sandwich amazing wow really really good um but there's also fig jam and there's an apple and blackberry jam and i think there's a certain joy in jam making don't you i've never been a jam maker i i'm feared of the thermometer jilly this is your time (laughs) and you don't have to have a thermometer because thane talks about the old-fashioned test where you put two plates in the freezer and then you drop a little bit of the jam on the plate that's cold from the freezer. Mm. If you then push your finger through it and it wrinkles, that means the jam's ready. That's called the wrinkle test. Well, there you go. There you I, go. I feel my challenge is coming on. I'm okay. going to rise to it. You are making apple and blackberry jam, <laughs> and I want to hear about it. Um, but apart from that, we have two other wonderful women in the issue. Um, Sabrina Gale whose brand new book is just out. And she is all about the joy of Middle Eastern cooking in a very down-to-earth way. And I know we're hearing from her elsewhere in this um, podcast. But I think the focus here is on feasting and friends and making it simple. And as well as recipes from the book, Sabrina has given us some extra uh, wonderful elements for the feature she has chosen music that she loves to put on when she's got people sitting around her table she has tableware and glassware that she loves to buy the sort of things that she would serve her food in and apart from that we have Olia Hercules this is her first food writer in residence for us two parts so one part this month one part next month And we're going to meet her in the podcast next month as well. So you are. And there is a sense of heritage and inspiration here as well because she's talking about the food that made her and where she gets her inspiration from. Um, She 
she is inspired by so many strong women in her her background. She was born in the Ukraine, and yet she's spent huge amounts of her life in this country. So she has evolved her food over time, and it's a really interesting story how she cooks now, where she gets her ingredients from. And next month, we are joining her on her allotment. She has been creating an allotment for the first time ever. She's learning as she does it. And we are joining her for the harvest and cooking things that she's been growing, uh, her recipes. So that's another joyous moment to look forward to. And so to Abergavenny, my old hometown, as well as one of the very first British food festivals in the UK. Anya Morris, formerly of Bristol Connections, is now at the helm of the September food adventure and believes that more than 20 years on, food festivals have a much more important role in the town than just feeding its tourists for a weekend. So the role of a food festival very much should be to show up and and to make a difference to the food culture of the place that it exists in. Uh, In Bristol, we introduced a fringe programme, and part of the reason that fringe programme has been so successful is because Bristol has a really diverse and thriving food culture where there's points of access for people from the very low income to the high-end gastronomy fine dining crowd. What we should be doing is empowering the local community to see an opportunity for them to do something and then driving people to engage with the food system that exists on a year-round basis, long after the festival's not there anymore. So we rolled out a fringe festival programme this year. They held a communities meeting and invited local groups to come and find out what we were up to. 70 local community groups showed up to hear about what we were doing. Um, And now we've got a fringe festival programme happening across the town, all organised by the local community, for the local community. It's been so delightful to find out about the quantity of good food activity that's going on around ABBA. There's local community orchards, there's box schemes, there's incredible edible, um, there's youth groups and young people really keen to get more involved. And I think especially where you've got areas of the country potentially um, that were previously reliant on on industry, mining communities, um, food actually represents a really serious opportunity for young people to be have thriving, engaged careers. And those people are increasingly not really wanting to go for nine to fives. They want to get back to the land, they want to use their hands, they want to do exciting things and interact with other people. And food gives them a great opportunity to do that. Absolutely. I mean, I I think food is is food's really magical because it's completely democratic everybody has to eat but also provides opportunities for young people to become makers and creators to you know we were talking about how they love to get their hands dirty they want to be bakers and cheese makers or wine producers partly because um it's a fun way to 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 live but also because i think just making money is not the priority for people anymore sean hill was at the michelin starred merchant house in 1994 when the first food festival was born in ludlow from the kitchens of the Walnut Tree Inn, Abergavenny's iconic fine dining restaurant, he looks back at how the food festival grew. Abergavenny is a market town, um, and the same as Ludlow was. Ludlow had 10,000 population, even smaller, but it was all centre and no outskirts, all shops, food shops, and market that sold, I don't know, cheese and, and mm. vegetables and pork, rather than, um, you know old frocks mm. and um, so it, it was quite genuine it was authentic uh, the, the towns that try to build a food festival because there's a lot trying mm. uh, to do it um, tend to fall down because there isn't a food culture 
Um, I mean, in Worcester, where I live, there are almost no food shops. There are retail parks with large supermarket outlets, and the only one butcher is on the outskirts of town. So uh, having a food festival is nice, but it doesn't, it's it, it, it doesn't derive from the town. Yeah. Abergavenny is different. Um, you'll remember that years ago I used to buy, and the reason I first got to know the walnut tree was Sullivan's of Abergavenny, who, who had a shop at 11 High Street, mm. and they sold just about anything mm. that you want in right. the food line that you wanted With to buy. With beautiful presentation as well. When you used to go there in the um, early 80s, um, the, the um, game birds would have arrived, and two burly men were in, the, in the backyard would be plucking them, mm. and they would go out the same day. Mm-hmm. And as it... it got bigger and had huge premises and rotated their stock so you had it less less of a quick turnaround which I thought was its ideal thing but it was still very good and it's still going strong I think. Sean has been in the business for 50 years now and I asked him if the walnut tree would be his last restaurant. Oh yeah I don't think I could face doing it again. It, it's not I love the cooking um, what the, the, what makes life more difficult is the bureaucracy that that's increased dramatically. And I think that's a pity because what I really, really love about restaurants is that they can reflect um, um, somebody's taste and skill. And so you go there, like people used to say they could in France, and you still can in big parts of Italy, uh, and have something which is individual, uh, which isn't uh, daylight robbery, which hasn't been costed by accountants and and bean counters haven't decided how big the portion is. And providing enough people come, then it all goes well and survives. And, of course, it's, it's what uh, Ronald Reagan called the magic of the marketplace. Um, if, you, if enough people come, you prosper, you make some money, and it it all works. And if you get the the recipe wrong for what a restaurant should be, then then it's it slides down the toilet. <laughs> now, Wilderness Festival is known as the foodie favourite amongst the glitterati, including David Cameron and family again this year. I caught up with Lara Bollione at Petersham Nurseries to find out why slow food and wild swimming are such a winning combination. I think it's a different kind of festival in general. It's really aimed at families. It's really uh, child-friendly. And the music is obviously a big part of it, but there's a lot of different activities and things. So I think what comes with that is the eating and the going for a meal. It's not just about going from stage to stage and listening to different music, but it's also about enjoying good food out in the countryside, I think. Yeah. Now, good food is what you're all about. There's a particular ethos, isn't there, about Petersham? I always steal the slow food ethos, which is good, clean, fair. Um, good because it's a delicious, good product. Clean because it's a minimum impact on the environment. And fair because the producers who make it um, are fairly, fairly paid and fairly treated. So I don't think we're necessarily teaching people, but I always talk about Petersham Nurseries as being a really inspirational place. And I think that's through not only the food offering, but also the lifestyle offering, the homewares, the flowers, and all those kinds of things that we do as well. So I would hope that people be inspired to recreate something, um, something similar at home. And festival goer Alice, known to her Instagram followers as Lash Pants, was inspired, but not just by Lara's homeware. We're big foodies. 
Um, so for us, the music is like an extra added thing, but we're really here for the food. So we love being able to come and the sociability of the food element as well. We love the banquets and the feasts and you get to meet people. At festivals, there's such an atmosphere of like conviviality and everyone is out to like being positive and optimistic. People become very aware in, in the literature that the festival produces um, and everything that surrounds it about the sustainability element. And, you know, it comes down to just little things like if you're going to go buy a bottle of wine you have to pay a supplement for the glasses as well and then you return them at the end so it's just making everything you know we're not all disposing of plastic cups every five months it's just about being a bit more conscious isn't it yeah exactly and i think everyone's i can totally say that five years ago being conscious of the environment stuff was not anywhere near as much on my radar we love going out and we love we're big meat eaters we have a really great local butchers that we absolutely love um but we weren't as aware of the ethics and things and the impact of the environment and now we're far more aware of trying to get meat meat free on certain days of the week and eat a lot more vegetables and actually like the opening night banquet that we went to everyone was like cooing over the lamb and I was there being like oh my god the tomatoes are incredible and down at the Kettle One Bar mixologist Fabrizio Leone from Sweet and Chili took a break from his cocktail masterclasses to teach me how to make a Bloody Mary. If you have a pestle and mortar at home, which most people do at the back of a cupboard, you'd get the vanilla pod and you'd pop it in there and then you'd start just to crack it open a little bit. And so the idea of a drink is just taking different flavours and seeing what works. And then you could add something as simple as chilli. So then you'd cut, cut up a chilli, get the seeds, red add it green? in. I prefer red, okay. but it is complete preference. That is the thing. I always work seeded with guys. Seeded seeded, but it all depends on, but that's because I like a spicy kick, exactly, so it's all, the beauty of it is, is that I like guidelines as opposed to rules, and so you kind of see how it goes, see what works for you, but something, I'd get a nice vanilla pod, seeded red chilli, and get that into a little bit of a mixture, and then what I'd do is I always add a little bit of salt and pepper, just to kind of act as like a base layer. Any old salts? Molden sea salt. I'm a big fan. Or pink Himalayan if you're really going for it. But hey, hey, any any old salt will work. But as I say about any kind of food, the more, the better the quality of the food, the better the end produce will be. And so if you use good salt, you're going to have a better drink. As simple as that. Okay. And then you get some nice black pepper, brown it all up, mix that in with. And the idea is you'd like some fresh beetroot juice. So you can either buy it in a shop, or if you have beetroot at home and you have a juicing machine it's as simple as do that I've been doing it all morning my hands are red from juicing all day you just want to mix it all together you really want to get the flavors the key thing would to be to do would be add some citrus as simple as half a lime half a lemon I would personally go for a lemon half a lemon hand juicer go straight in if you don't have a hand juicer squeeze it with your hand it is as simple as that you don't need special equipment there's no alcohol in there I'm noticing Uh aha well we always save the best for last and so depending on what you would like to go for a healthy measure of kettle one we're looking at about two shots if you're feeling adventurous but I would go with one and a half shots as a standard mix that all together with a bit of ice if you pack it full of ice, it'll stay nice and cold. And you're Do a bit beautiful... of Tom Cruise on it. And... Of course, of course, of course. Always going to add a little bit of flair, your own unique touch, and then bada bing, bada bum. As simple as that, you have a wonderful kettle one bloody marriage. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Now, the Great Bath Feast is coming up in the first week of October, but Sylvana de Soissons has already used her Instagram following to show off the independent producers making the city such a tourist draw. I joined her on a trail of hashtag independent bath and asked her why she'd become the self-appointed guide to the best of the city's food. Well, I'm the owner of the Foodie Bugle, which is a food homeware uh, shop in the centre of the city and here in Abbey Green, next to the Abbey and the Roman Baths, and we have a tea room inside the shop. And I know a lot of shopkeepers and gallery owners and restaurant owners and cafe owners here in the city. And as we all know, the economic situation isn't hugely favourable for small businesses at the moment. And it takes that spirit of cooperation, doesn't it? I was, I was talking recently to to Rick Stein about how Padstow happened and it wasn't just that he became a celebrity chef and then everybody came to Padstow it was the spirit of cooperation people weren't jealous they they opened up B&Bs hotels the producers got some uh, mm-hmm. a, a, a bit of the action yes is it the same in Bath Yes, it very much is. There's, the independent businesses are very much uh, very collaborative, very cooperative, um, and uh, but it, it is difficult to get your name out there if you can't afford a lot of advertising. It's very expensive to advertise. So, of course, social media is a wonderful platform for all of us to share uh, what the artisans, the makers, the growers, the producers are doing. Tell me about some of the foodie highlights. Acorn Vegetarian is um, it's one of the best vegetarian restaurants in the country, and we're going to go to Thoughtful Bread for delicious macarons and homemade rhubarb cordial. We're going to Hunter and Sons for a beer tasting, artisan craft beers. Um, we're going to go to Society Cafe for a beautiful tasting of homemade cascara with lime juice. And uh, we've got lots and lots of beautiful uh, foodie things uh, on the trail, surprises, things that are off the beaten track, down a lane, which your average tourist and visitor wouldn't really know. And she was right. Lunch at Acorn Vegetarian Kitchen, Richard Buckley's award-winning restaurant near the Abbey, was a triumph of flavours and visual treats for the Instagrammers Silvana had invited along. Richard talked me through what I'd eaten. You have had some roasted and then charred juice artichokes with charred grapefruit, a grapefruit gel, and some plastic butter. That was your amuse bouche. Your main course was just some old donkey carrots. That we then. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but then we, we roast them on papillot with saffron and star anise. And then we score them very finely and then basically bathe them in truffle oil, which makes them quite tasty. And that was with a cherry puree and then seven seeds and grains for a bit of uh, filling, stodge. 
Your main course was just a very simple Italian smoked Winchester Agnoletti. This is a 18-month-old cheddar, which looks really crystally and parmesan. Um, and that comes with uh, monk's beard, which is a weed, basically. Um, celeriac, which we cut into ribbons, so it gives it better texture. It's extraordinary, actually. It was like a lasagna, wasn't it? It was leaves. Yeah, it's celeriac. this crazy French-Japanese machine that you sort of carefully fit the celeriac to and then try and roll and it produces these huge sheets of celeriac that have a wonderful texture and, and that's with a mushroom stock with butter <laughs> that, that wasn't so vegan um, and then dessert was uh, fennel sorbet and it was literally the last delivery of uh for the year so that was the end of that um, pink, pink pink beautiful pink, yeah and that's the end of that and i saw the instagrammers going crazy over yes, that in fact all of them everyone would have rather eaten chocolate and they'd rather photograph rhubarb yeah. <laughs> I asked him who he's cooking for in Bath. Bath is a town of 80,000 people, which isn't a lot. There's 460 restaurants. There's 4 million tourists a year visit Bath. I would say probably 40% of our customers are vegan or vegetarian. The other 60% are just sort of gourmands, essentially, looking for something different. You'll see vegan taking off in the next 5-10 years. It's food that's cooked with class and style and... We, we don't ask is it vegan, we ask is it good. And we, uh, my head, none of the chefs are vegetarian or vegan, they're all just fine dining backgrounds, Michelin backgrounds. Will, will a vegan restaurant ever get a Michelin star? Watch this space. Now, September is all about going back to school, packing the lunchbox and scratching your head about how to keep the sugar out. Jamie Oliver has famously gone to war against the white stuff. And his Sugar Smart campaign is working with schools, hospitals and councils across the UK to get the message out. Joe Ralling is Sugar Smart's director at the Jamie Oliver Foundation and told me why it's still so important. Over the last 30 to 40 years, we've seen obesity levels soar in this country. And as a result, the, the diet-related diseases um, that can result from eating too much um, are, are on the rise. Uh, we now have 4 million diabetics in this country and it's estimated that there could be another 5 million people who are either diabetic or pre-diabetic and don't know. The Sugar Smart campaign came out of a, uh, the, our real reaction to the childhood obesity strategy. We had hoped that the government were going to come out with a strong, robust strategy. In fact, we were bitterly disappointed by uh, what Theresa May's government did produce. As a result, we realised that we couldn't wait for government to legislate. Uh, I mean, policy change is very important, but ultimately we thought we've got to get on and do something now. So at the Jamie Oliver Foundation, we decided that um, a grassroots community-based campaign might work. And we started in Brighton. We decided to go for the hospitals, the schools, workplace, because actually if we could get the message out to those big organisations and get them doing more to... Um, uh, get the message across about sugar um, to their employees or people who visited, uh, then we'd have a large reach quite quickly. We at the foundation have always been uh, encouraged people to cook from scratch, learn how to cook your food, because if you cook a tomato sauce from scratch, you'll know how much sugar's in it. Yeah, and of course you've got the Sugar Smart app, which is great. It's a really easy way you can scan food um, and see how much sugar's in that product. Um, there's also the Food Switch app that's just been introduced um, by Action on Sugar. It's another organisation we work with. Again, really, really interesting. You can scan a product, um, so scan a box of cereal that you've got in your cupboard, um, and the app will tell you 
other products who are similar but have much lower sugar um, in them. So really useful um, apps that people can use on a daily basis just to become more aware. So as a mum, top tip for the best kind of lunchbox? Breakfast and lunchboxes are a real challenge for mums. Probably the biggest way you can reduce the amount of sugar going in there is don't give your kids uh, fruit juices. Give them water to drink. If you do want to give them a bit of fruit juice, make sure it's watered down. Um, smoothies are incredibly high in sugar. Um, you can be consuming um, you know, up to 20 teaspoons of sugar um, in, a, in a smoothie. Or no, although there is nutritional value in that, it's an enormous amount. Be very careful of those um, uh, cereal bars and things that actually are very easy to just chuck into a lunchbox but can be very high in sugar. So always look at the label. And it's really hard, isn't it? The sugar in bread, for example. There is indeed, um, there is basic sugar in pretty well everything that's yeah. processed. Yeah. So uh, it's, again, it's about awareness. Um, use brown breads, use whole meal breads, which will have less sugar in them mm-hmm. um, and will take longer for uh, the sugar to get into your child's bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Um, making salad or using a whole meal pasta um, and mixing it up with some vegetables, absolutely, you know, really, really good for lunch boxes. As are the old traditional carrot sticks in a pot of hummus. Sabrina Gale has become one of Britain's favourite Middle Eastern cooks after her book Persiana gave her family's Iranian food an exotic spin. The September issue features glorious recipes from her latest book Feasts, but when I went to her home, I found her suffering from a little recipe anxiety. One of my things is because I'm this sort of kooky home cook, you know, I don't have the same disciplines of, you know, some of the masters, like, for example, take one of my idols, Yota Motolenghi, you know, he's a legend. And I'm always like, oh, my God, I've got to come up with recipes that he hasn't come up with. Because otherwise, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, there's there's risk that people go, oh, well, your time's already mm-hmm. done that. Mm-hmm. And you've copied him, you know, because obviously he's a master. I'm not a master. I'm a home cook. Mm-hmm. But the good thing between us is I know our differences. I know that I'm a home cook and I really do use my spice rack um, as much as possible to get things off the ground. So if I'm making a, um, there was a recipe in my last book, it was an orange and date salad with watercress. And I was like, you know what, I don't want balsamic, I don't want lemon and olive oil. Plain vinaigrette is great, but what am I going to do to make this a little bit different? Mm. So I put put, uh, red wine vinegar, vinaigrette, and I put cinnamon Mm -hmm. in there. And I remember making it and saying to my mum, it's got cinnamon. She was like, ugh, cinnamon vinaigrette. And I was like, trust me, I know what I'm doing. So I'm constantly raiding my spice rack to transform things because I think, you know what? If you can rely on your spice rack, you don't really need a hell of a lot of other fresh ingredients. You might take, let's say, butternut squash and think, okay, this is my staple. This is the base of whatever meal I'm going to have to make because this is all I've got. Mm -hmm. So you're like, okay, butternut squash, look in the fridge, you're like, well, I've got a few herbs knocking around. What have I got in the cupboard? Oh, okay, maybe I'll jazz it up with a little spice and I found a bit of crusty old feta in the fridge and, you know, you roast the butternut squash in spices, maybe put a bit of chilli, drizzle a bit of oil, crumble a bit of feta. If you've got any herbs, it's a meal. Even if you don't have any any herbs, herbs. Any old herbs. Like, obviously, chopped rosemary and chopped thyme are a bit quite aggressive. Mm. But, like, fresh herbs, then, you know, yes, that... I'm a big fan of using what you've got. Mm. Um, And I don't like writing recipes where most of the time you absolutely cannot change an ingredient Mm. because it's just not how I cook. And actually, I don't think that's how most people cook. Yeah, And I prefer to be the kind of girl who provides 
inspiration to people rather than prescriptive recipes and things yeah. that you need to go and shop a hundred strange ingredients. I just think it's it costs a lot of money. Mm. And actually, Middle Eastern food is really poor and humble food most of the time. Yeah as the best food in the world is pasta is poor food pizza is poor food pies meatballs um they're all poor food that's why they're still popular now because they have stood the test of time we don't necessarily associate persian food with poor food of course because it has that added glamour of uh rice is expensive but rice in that corner of the world you know not so much because it's like oh india iran yeah quite close to each other and that's pretty fair but um you know we don't we eat a lot of meat and then we don't eat a lot of meat because we for example um you know we only eat lamb and uh, baby chicken like pusan mm. the babies are, are controversially revered but you know lamb mm. um and we like tender meat and we like to marinate our meat and we don't eat as much meat as perhaps i do in the west mm. which is a strange thing because um meat is a big thing in the middle east because there was a time when you just didn't have it um, so what happened is everybody, as soon as they got it and could afford it, went the other way. And for a lot of Middle Eastern people, if there's no meat on the table, they'll be like, what's going on? Yeah. Like, you know, there's no vegetarianism in the Middle East broadly. It's not it's not a common thing. And it can be actually seen as an insult if you invited guests over to the house and didn't serve meat. Unless you're from a culture, yeah. for example, if you're, you know, from certain parts of India, then you... You have a vegetarian diet, yeah. but in the Middle East, it's like, where's the meat? You know, yeah. because it's it's a key commodity. But otherwise, apart from that, all our little dishes on the side are very humble. Um, you know, like a simple yogurt dish, a simple dish of chopped tomatoes and cucumbers and onions and maybe an aubergine. And it's really, for us, that's really simple, humble food from the land. And you can hear more from Sabrina on the history of Persian food in an extra portion of the Delicious Podcast coming soon. It's almost time for the new Channel 4 version of The Great British Bake Off. Delicious magazine's Phoebe Stone caught up with Bake Off finalist Andrew Smith to see if he'll be watching. You know, I think it's quite exciting. I think people are a bit keen to jump on board and criticise it. But actually, let's give it a chance. You know, especially when it comes to presenters, Nolan Sandy. They're hilarious in their own right. They're very experienced comedians. I think they'll bring the kind of the lightness to the tent that it needs because it can be really intense in there. Yeah, did you appreciate having Sue and Mel there to kind of lighten the mood? Absolutely, because, you know, it's good to have someone to remind you, yes, it is competition, but it is just cake at the end of the day and you can kind of get a bit caught up in it all. So their comic interludes were, like, you know, welcome a lot of the time just to kind of laugh it off and just let out a bit of tension. What do you make of Prulis? Do you think she can take over the reins from Mary? You know, she's got a tough act to follow because everybody loves Mary. But to be fair to Prue, she's, you know, a veteran in her own right. You know, she's got her own cookery school. You know, she's had numerous books to her name. She's got the experience. You know, she's maybe a bit firmer than Mary. So it'll be interesting to see how her and Paul play off each other. But I think I'm just excited to see what they do with it. Um, rather than jumping on one side of the fence or the other, give them a chance. Let's see what the new Bake Off's going to look like. Thanks for listening to The Delicious Podcast. If you love it, please rate, review and subscribe to it via iTunes or on your podcast app. We're here with extra portions between the monthly magazine shows to give you much, much more from the world of delicious. See you next week.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.